How's it going, guys? I'm Jake, and welcome to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I would like to introduce to you the one, the only, the man in the room, the best man I've ever met, the one I would take a bullet for, Zeke Morgan. It's <laughs> a very dramatic intro. Uh, well, Thank it you. is your birthday today. Thank you. Is it only because you're saying that because it's my birthday? Yeah, I wouldn't take a bullet for you on any other day. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, Zeke? <laughs> it is good. I am the double two now. I've joined you in the double two club. Oh, God. It's pretty... Yeah. It's, it's, I, you know what? I can't even tell you if it's a good club or a bad club. It's a, it's a, it's a number, right? Yeah. You know, it's really weird. It's, it's like, I woke up today, and I feel like, for the most part, I feel like everyone else around me was more excited for my birthday than me. Yeah. I just always <laughs> forgot it was my birthday. Because we had a really big weekend. and yeah. Um, a lot of birthdays in this space. There though, was, the there was. There was Sarah's birthday, mm. um, and that was a really big event because she was turning 21, so we all put a bit of... You know, you've got to give her the 21st that she deserves because we all had a good, we had a big 21st for yours and mm. mine. So, yeah. you know, we had to shine off a bit with that. But well, that like, came up in my memories yesterday, your 21st party. Uh, <laughs> that got crazy. Yeah, a little bit. A little That's bit fun. crazy. That's fun. No, um, <laughs> I think at both mine and your 21st, I kissed one of our friends. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So... Yeah, I, ki- I kissed friends on my birthday too. Yeah. So. Actually, just the one. Hey. Just the just... one. I don't even think I knew his name at the time. <laughs> <laughs> good time. No, I, I'm oh, good, Jake. I've uh, got some sweet uh, socks and undies for my birthday. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. You know, people that know me know nice. that I, they are like two of my favorite things. There is nothing better than a new pair of socks. You see, I would agree with you. Two years ago, I would be like, oh, socks are the best. Now I have way too many socks. Mm-mm, there's no such thing. Especially have... in Perth where it's like 38 degrees. So after a day, your socks are drenched and gross. So putting mm. on that fresh pair is so satisfying. Yeah, got some sweet presents. It's pretty. that's a good point. Ready to talk about some movies. We've watched a lot in the last week. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, you've had a big week. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm sure we'll talk oh, about a little bit more we'll later in the show. The, the career section, if you will. Yeah. But, um, well, yeah. if 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 you don't mind, I'll kick us off with what we watched this week. Yeah, I wanna I wanna get your concrete feelings on this. I imagine this is the first thing you're gonna talk about. So I'd like to talk about uh, Ford vs Ferrari. Woo-hoo! So I, I watched this yesterday. Whoa, it was yesterday. That's crazy man. It did not that feel was, like it was, that was yesterday. Yeah. It didn't feel like yesterday. Um, yeah. So I went with Sarah, and we went and saw. Uh, Ford vs Ferrari. Uh, I'm pretty mm. sure she fall over, fell asleep halfway through the film. <laughs> oh no! Um, but for the most part, the this... film's fault or her fault? I mean, we were pretty tired from the Saturday, as you know, you were yeah. there. It's like um, when I tell people I fell asleep during Solo. It's like it's a little unfair because I was like, yeah, I was I was messed up. Yeah. I was so tired. But yeah. The film didn't help. No, <laughs> and this film didn't really either. I, I think it was trying to be. Uh, most people saw from a mile away this film felt very Oscar baity, felt mm. very like, hey guys, this is that big studio Hail Mary this year for an Oscar. Um, let's just throw Christian Bale and Matt Damon together. That combo hasn't happened, so let's let's see what that happens. And yeah. um, well, similar to Leo and Brad earlier this year, like we haven't seen this combo before, but that, yeah. that feels way less Oscar baity. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, you reckon Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was. Not Oscar Beatty? In the sense that it's about Hollywood and it's made by a cinephile. That, 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 sure, but like the story itself is not... There's, I think there's a lot of Academy voters that are not going to like the ending to that film. 
Okay. So, I don't know. Look that's that's an interesting uh, point. I think um, right now, if uh, I mean, we probably will talk about it more and more when the Oscars start to ramp up mm, again. But if we were to... started. Well, if we were to do <laughs> early Oscar predictions, I think the film that we watched last week, The Irishman, is... Oh, yeah, for sure. Has to be up there. There's um, going to be a, quite a few that's going to get um, up I feel like. But uh, I think, yeah, it was fine. Like, there was such a 7 out of 10. The, it's Mangold, so you know, like... That's right, yeah. Um, was his direction good? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it's, uh, at the same time, how much direction do you have to direct Christian Bale and Matt Damon? Right, okay. Like, and Matt Damon's just playing sort of a rednecky Tommy Lee Jones young person. <laughs> and he, he, does, he does it fine. Christian Bale's playing a chavvy bloke. And yep. it's Christian Bale, so if anyone can just act it's him <laughs> you get so, what you kind of expect out of it i guess i guess it's 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 very much the situation of taking someone like like christian bale gary oldman if you put them in like a dramatic film yeah. of course they're going to perform really well. like i mean winston like uh we've talked about it before but like gary oldman being cast as winston churchill was such an oscar baby film right yeah the darkest hour and it's like of course he performs well in it but how much of that was direction or how much of that was just talented gifts as an actor yeah there's definitely i i feel like a, a director's um what's it called like an influence on an actor regardless of the the yeah the, the, the i guess the the prestige of the actor i think there's always something in there and it's like but then you get someone like john travolta who's very much depending on the director can be horrible or pretty darn good yeah, and we've seen that across his film gamut. I feel like so. Exactly, but, but what about, I feel like he's an actor that's not just always amazing. At everything, so I guess it's a little different. Well, Joaquin like Phoenix. Bell. Yeah, that's I mean, a great one as well. I think I can't imagine. I can't think of a movie off the top of my head I've seen him in that I disliked. Yeah. So, and he's done a very diverse, and he's had multiple diverse directors. But mm. so, is that more a case of him just being able to adapt? quicker and more efficiently or yeah i suppose i think there's definitely an element where you're right a director has to and it goes back to the whole saying you know direct some directors say mm. casting is 90 percent of the job and if you've done that right then you can just relax and i understand that from a point of view if you get the right actor you're sorted you have to do very little work on set to get mm -hmm. them where they need to go film went on probably 15 minutes too long it has uh, like two endings and honestly it would have been way endings. more sort of like an you'll know when you see it because I know you'll catch it. I will it, see it. I will see it. Uh, you'll probably get nominated, and you'll probably try and get through all the Oscar films before the Oscars come around. Yeah, like, the next couple of weeks is very um, like packed for me, which I'm kind of excited about. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when you get around to it, you'll watch it, and you'll see what I mean by this. There's there's one ending where you're like, that should have been the ending, and it would have been a perfect bookmark mm. ending, and then the and film goes on for another 15 minutes, and it loses yeah. it. And so I I sit on about a seven. Um, it's got a weird sort of like, you know, the funny thing is, you know, you see the title Ford versus Ferrari and you think, well, this is, and it's, it's very much the, the Americans versus the internationals. Um, right, yeah, yeah. Like a classism sort of thing going on? Yeah, classism, but uh, like, obviously the marketability is, oh, it's America beating the foreigner, which is, uh, you see. know, it's, which is a classic Americanized. Yeah. It's a little too patriotic for your eyes. Yeah, and it's very, uh, but that being said, like, I want to say that, like, on the surface level, that's what it looks like, but they don't paint Ford in a very positive light in this film. Okay. Like, the people that run Ford are. They go between being uh, disassociated with the lower class mm. to um, just frankly being 
out of touch idiots for the most part. <laughs> um, I talked about it with you yesterday. John Bernathol uh, is uh, in this yeah. film, He's in and uh, for people that know, I'm a big John Bernathol fan. Um, I think he'd be like up there for one of the people I'd love to have a dinner with because I think he'd be such a fun person. That would be that. fascinating. He's, he's, I've seen interviews with him, and he does have such a brilliant presence about him. Like he does seem very approachable. I think. Um, and he's like, it, I was really worried. I said this to you. It said Matt Damon, uh, Christian Bale, Ford vs Ferrari did like title cards, and then when it started the movie, <laughs> yeah, uh, it then moved into the first of the sub casting yeah, the list sub-cast. was John Bernthal, and I went, no, not again. Let's throw him in <laughs> another like supporting role where it's like people will like when you mention him, the most of the reactions are it's like oh. Yeah. He was in that movie. Oh, wait. He was, like, my favourite part of that movie. I just forgot he was in the movie because right, he's yeah, always like in, he's like... in, like, Baby Driver and Wolf of Wall Street and stuff. I, most people yeah. don't remember that, I feel like. Yeah, and yet every time when you watch Baby Driver or Wolf of Wall Street, he's easily one of the most entertaining people on the screen. Or yeah. the, he, Like, in Wolf of Wall Street, like, the him between him and Jonah Hill going back <laughs> oh, and that, forth... Oh, that's so funny. Right before he gets arrested? Yeah. That's so it's funny. It's so funny. And, or even just, like, like, him selling, like, drugs to teenagers and then talking about, like, their sister and stuff and it's like <laughs> he's just a really funny character um and you know he just gets kind of always sidelined and it infuriates me i think i've only seen him in one film where he's the lead actor which is sweet virginia mm. and it's a really good film jake i would recommend it okay. maybe maybe I mean, we'll, it i'll yet. bring it to the show one week um but yeah i i this one he got a little bit more screen time but he's still in the first act, he got a lot more screen time, and mm. I was like, "Oh, maybe he's like just the third party guy here." But no, nah, very much when Bale and Damon get going, they take the front seat, and he once again gets pushed back yeah. behind Henry Ford II and his right hand man. So he gets pushed to about the fifth or sixth like important cast member, and oh, it's that's a shame. infuriating because <laughs> they got their star power. I think you're, I think you're right with the Oscar base, though, and I think we've actually talked about the mm-hmm. word Oscar bait or the yeah. meaning behind it. And I'm very anti... I usually am like, well, who cares sort of thing? Depends mm-hmm. on the film itself. But I think from the point of view of the casting, I think you're absolutely dead on with this film is that they just want these two. And apparently they're, they're both going for, for lead. Neither of them are going for supporting, which might mm. really screw them both up because you have so many other great leads in other films. Frankly, I don't see either of them beating Joaquin. I'd be very mm. surprised if they did. I mean, the Academy would probably want them to win more than Joaquin, but I, I just can't see. Yeah. I can't see, or, or potentially De Niro. Like, I can see De Niro beating both, all three of them. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be, I think this film's going to be pushed to the side. I mean, neither of them are going to get nominations. Um, I mean, I haven't seen the film, of course, mm. but, like, just the general talk around, there's a lot more buzz for, you know, Joaquin and, and, and De Niro and... Like even Adam Driver now for a couple of things, and mm-hmm. I just think the conversation has gone a little too far away from this film. I still want to see it, and I still want to see if they, either yeah. of them, deserving of a nomination. Would you say? Bale, maybe. Okay. Um, I can't see Damon. I've seen Damon, mm. but I've never been a huge Damon fan. Like, right. Um, he's great him and in Ben Affleck. Sort of are uh, hot cold for me and they always seem to play relatively sim at least Damon does diversify a bit more than Affleck Affleck, a little bit, yeah. Affleck is very one note and has like there's constant conversation about if he's even really a good actor he just gets put in roles that suit him like in Gone Girl where he seems like yeah I was well the thing the thing with Gone Girl and I was literally just thinking about it as we were talking about it, I think 
there's just such a subtlety to his naivety that's so well played. I think that really makes him great. But he also film. plays a disassociative partner, like a partner that mm. kind of neglects Rosamund Pike, and then that leads to Rosamund acting out more ways than she. I feel do you like think she. I think elevated by, him. Yeah, yeah, I do, and I think. And even Neil Patrick Harris, like uh, in that, just that, right. uh, like it elevated the film. And fin- Finch's perfectionism style probably oh, yeah, helped Finch a lot. Would have gone him well. Again, um, the director-actor relationship there. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, in Argo, he plays a very similar character to Gone Girl. It's just circumstantial, and also that's elevated by the story and the cast. Yeah. And in the town, I think Jeremy Renner elevates him because mm. Jeremy Renner's phenomenal. And you he need to really you need good. to see Wind River in the town to see that, not Hawkeye. <laughs> you bastards! <laughs> what about you, Jake? Back to you. Um, all right. Well, what I want to do because obviously the last few weeks I've been very much just like on a mm-hmm. renting spree, so I'm talking about a lot of like classics or random stuff. Uh, I want to start kind of speeding through those because uh, we're getting into that se- season where there's a lot of really excellent films coming mm. out. So I want to spend a bit more time on the new releases. Oh yeah. Um, of which I haven't seen any of this week. I'll see plenty next week. I can't. I really can't wait for next week's episode just for the discussion because there's going to be so much to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll kind of skim through some of the older stuff that I've seen, uh, for, I guess, for the remainder of the year, for the remainder of this like, mm-hmm. run of episodes we're doing. Uh, but I do want to talk about, from a more external point of view, I watched The Untouchables for the first time. This is a funny story behind this one, right? There's a real funny story. And I also watched The Upside, which is the remake of that film with Brian Cranston mm-hmm. and Kevin Hart. Hart. Yeah, uh, but I watched that first, not knowing it was a remake of The Untouchables until the very first scene. I was like, wait a sec, I've seen this scene before, this exact scene of the car. And um, So this yeah. kind of infuriates me because a few years back now, we got shown the opening scene to The Untouchables. In one of our classes, yeah. In one of our classes. Now, I have it on DVD. I have not given it a watch yet, mm. but... I remember when the Cranston Hart one came out, there was a lot of backlash to the Americanization of this film. Mm. Um, and it's really weird. We've been talking about the Americanization a lot already on this episode, but um, especially <laughs> the, the given the film this week is very much an Australian oh film. Oh, my God. Um, but yeah. I have to ask you, Okay, did you feel like that there is a heavy difference between the two and which one is better at telling the same story. All right, I'll say The Untouchables straight up is a much better directed and tighter mm. script, mm-hmm. or a better film, tighter script, all that. I, I just figured it gets all the plot points quicker. And it's interesting because I watched The Untouchables knowing the plot because the upside is virtually identical bar mm-hmm. very weird adjustments. But here's the thing, watching it, all of a sudden I'm like, mm, I kind of like, and even though I think The Upside is a very much American fluffed up version of the story, it feels a bit more... Uh, tropey like Kevin Hart I thought he was fine but then I go on and watch uh, The Untouchables uh, with Omar Sy is it Omar Sy? I would have say um, T- I think it's Sy um, he is fucking phenomenal in that role and he is so much more likable and so much more funny and so much more flexible and even the circumstance he's a character's put in is a little less conventional in the upside he's got an ex-wife and son that he has to look after uh, in the Intouchables, it's it's a bit more complicated. He doesn't have a son. He's kind of got this wider family of uh, you know different relationships, and it's a little complicated. And it's something you don't really fully learn until way later in the film. So I kind of appreciated that it was a bit more complex and a bit more interesting, and uh, it made me appreciate that. Oh, Kevin Hart, he's fine. He does dramatic. He does a dramatic role, but it's you know it's incomparable to what 
happens in the French version of the film. Seems like a stupid casting. I'm sorry. Yeah, like... just, I, it was too distracting because yeah. you have this story that it's based on a true story, and this might get into the way of why the plot was a little weird and different in certain areas. Um, but you're right. I just it was too distracting, and I'm like, oh, there's Kevin Hart not yeah. making as many jokes as he usually would. I guess. I just think for the most part. And this is like goes out to ninety percent of like comedians. Mm. I just don't see them being able to do serious roles, like because yeah. they are too distracting. Because not two clicks away, assuming let's say the upside was on Netflix, not mm. two clicks away. Are you from He's a Kevin Hart? Yeah, yeah, where he's going. Like, <laughs> I hate Kevin Hart's stand-up. It's just obnoxious most of the time. Or you can go watch Central Intelligence where he plays very much, you know, but at least he's playing like a Kevin Hart-esque character in that, you know, or Death at a Funeral. Yeah. No, but I know know what you're referring to with that, so. And I know that there are comedians that can, like, traverse it. For example, like, at least when you see Bill Burr in a film, he's still playing something that's in his ballpark. He's not playing... And he's actually pretty good at what he does. Yeah. Like, I like him in... Uh, he was in The Front Runner for a little bit. Oh, really? Um, which I watched earlier that's this year, hilarious. which is a weird film to bring back up. But, yeah, um, he's in that, and he's actually got a pretty hefty part. I mean, him and Louis C.K., I'm pretty sure, are in it. Right, yeah. And obviously, given... I don't think Louis C.K. will be working anytime soon oh. in any films. <laughs> and he's in... Um, Bill Burr's in the new Mandalorian, I think. Oh, God, I've I haven't watched that. it yet. I've heard that he's in it. Oh, I gotta see that. <laughs> I can't be soft. I'm, I'm saying no to Disney Plus on principle. <laughs> ah, see, I got lucky, because, like, yeah, it's in the U.S., and um, <laughs> I've got I've got Nord VPN. Wow. Yeah, so. well, they, well, I'm pretty sure it's coming out here very soon. Yeah. So, uh, I will give you an update next week, hopefully, on the yeah, show. Tell me what. Get. So, you are going to watch The Mandalorian? Just The Mandalorian. Next week? That's oh, okay, it. fair yeah. enough. Yeah, they stuffed up all the Simpsons aspect ratios and shit. Yeah. Like, I literally have really, like like you said, uh, I mean, we might as well talk about Disney Plus for a little bit because it did get released in the last week yeah, or I so. Yeah, I probably should mention it like the, the next week stuff, but no. Yeah. Um, but, but it is out in the US now. Yeah, yeah and for the most part, like. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It, the the most concerning thing is like you look at how much stuff Disney owns now just mm. by going through their their uh, their website. It's kind of like, crazy. It's a bit much too. It kind of it, they they make a joke about it in like things like BoJack, how there are only say, like three they, companies left. The whole conglomerate the, discussions. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. But, yeah. but um, one thing that makes me happy is I there's an ice hockey movie called Miracle. Which I could never get on DVD, and they've got that on Disney Plus. Oh, really? So I was like, I've yeah, Miracle, Kurt Russell. Yeah, it's ah, good. Okay. It's okay. a good film. I check it. Check it out. It's a great sports movie. But nice. I'm a sucker for a sports movie. I'm surprised we've never done. Have we done one on the show? No, I don't think so. Not really. I guess Not fighting like with my one. family, but that doesn't really count. That kind of. I mean, it's wrestling. That counts. Ugh. I think that counts. That movie was. Yeah. It was disappointing to you. I know. Yeah, it was. Felt like a Netflix film. Like, and yeah. not like your high-end I'm Netflix surprised it's on Netflix already. <laughs> I think it is, actually. Oh, are you kidding me? I might have to check that, but... I can fact-check that for you right yeah. now, but... Um, so, another film I caught this week, um, which is on Netflix, because I caught it on Netflix, mm. is Cockblockers, um, which is a film that came out last year, I want to say. Uh, not cool. that long ago. It wasn't that long ago, with uh, John Cena. And it's about uh, three teenage girls all planning to lose their virginity on prom night. Um, and their parents are cock-blocking them, basically, because one of them's overprotective, mm. one of them's really close with their kid and doesn't want their kid to leave for college, so they still want to maintain their co-relationship. And one of them 
is kind of the neglectful parent that has to work from the ground up. It is a really, really fun film, Jake. Mm, it's so nice. <laughs> yeah, it's funny and pretty much perfectly cast. So I've talked about Game Night earlier in, in the show and how that's also pretty much perfectly cast with... Um, Best part about Game Night is, for the most part, outside of uh, Rachel McAdams and Jason Bateman, and and I guess Jesse Plemons too, the remainder of the cast are relatively unknown. They're not uh, super A-list. Like, it's not like The Hangover, which I felt like The right. Hangover had a really strong cast. Like, even at that point, Ed Helms was pretty established. You know, uh, Bradley Cooper's Bradley Cooper. And even Zach Galifianakis at that point was picking up a bit of steam. Um, Definitely, it wasn't like point, a, yeah. or Tropic Thunder, which had a really big cast. Um, but but I think it's more typical that they go the 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 cockblockers thing where they get one or two really big people and then they just leave it there. Even like, um, I mean, I wouldn't even say John Cena's a a big name, you know. Like, well, I mean, people know of yeah. him, so I guess yeah, I like kind of counts. Yeah, he sort of fits in the rock category. I want to say, Five of My Family is not on Netflix at the moment. Okay, fair enough. Um, Honestly, real funny film. I uh, had a lot of laughs. I thought the the um the it's called actually blockers, not cock blockers. I think they changed it. Due it's to, what? It's called uh like blockers now, but I think it's like implied. With oh, like I a think rooster. what? It, yeah, it's called blockers, but what? I think usually they have a a rooster, a rooster at the front. It's cock blockers. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they weren't allowed to say it. So Leslie Mann, uh, John Cena, and. I'm not going to say uh, Ike Barinholtz. So, like, don't really know who that is. But the other, like, the rest of them, mm. like, the teenage girls, that was so funny. This was, like, book smart funny. Maybe not book smart. Actually, you know what? For the most part, yeah, this did feel almost in the same league as book smart in terms of teenage intelligence. Like, actually writing the teenagers like teenagers. And it felt mm. in the super okay. bag discussion. And I think this film. It did actually get really positive reviews when it came out, but it also got forgotten about as quick as it came out. Whereas I feel like at least Booksmark is going to have a residual, uh, like, you know, it's going to have a long mm. shelf life. I feel like uh, Booksmart will maybe have the legs that Superbad had. Whereas this film, just a bit of fun to watch. I would yeah. give you a, if you were wanting a laugh, Jake, give it a watch. I feel like in comparison to like Superbad, Superbad did kind of explode. In its own right, well, I think I think Clockbox is just kind of it came out and went like a lot of. It's a shame because it's, like it's really funny. A lot, of, a lot of these comedies they just they just kind of come and go, you know. At least this one was yeah, it was really funny. And the okay. performance John Cena is so funny in it. I might give it a little cheeky He's so watch. Perfect. Then. Like, I like I think uh, with him, if they're self-aware uh, of him mm. and you cast him in the right thing, he's better than The Rock. Like he's funnier than mm. The Rock. Um, all that is means... there a rarity to it too that you don't see him as often? That's why he's funnier. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Like I, th- I've heard he's really funny in Trainwreck, like as Amy Schumer's like over the top boyfriend who's like a gym junkie, and it's like that's just cast him. He's a, a overly buff looking dude, right? Yeah, yeah who yeah. is very funny, and I think uh, especially now with his like wrestling career tying, you know, it's tied up pretty much. He's almost forty, so he's mm-hmm. gonna make the dosh somewhere else. He's kind of like Dwayne. Switching, switching into. Dwayne. I mean, he. You're always going to see I mean, him. Isn't in, he the highest paid actor in Hollywood the last couple of years in a row? Dwayne Johnson. Yes. Yeah. I'm not sure this year. He might not be this year. I think he's in a lot this year. That's the thing. Yeah. Like Jumanji comes out very late this year. And, and but he was in Hobson Shaw too. Oh shit. Yeah. But I think that made. 
But it didn't crack five million billion dollars, so it means it didn't make any money. Yeah. From it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Well, what about uh, you, Jake? All right, a couple of other uh, quote-unquote classics that I saw. So I finally watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And um, That's a Jack Nicholson, correct? Yes, and Jack Nicholson, that was my walk away from this film, was that he was fucking phenomenal. Spicy. He is so good. That was my main takeaway of a lot of Jack Nicholson films I've been watching lately. He's like, wow, he's just insane. He is it's, so it, good. It's weird when you have like a like a household name like Jack Nicholson, where as soon as you say it, you associate with good actor. Yet, mm. if you ask most people... What's a Jack Nicholson film? Outside of, I'd say that the only ones that most people would come to mind with would be something like, like a younger person. I'm yeah, saying, yeah, like a younger version of him. Let's say The Departed, um, and that's pretty much it. I can't think of another really. Like, I think mean, like anger management. <laughs> with Adam um, I actually watched. Uh, what's it called? <laughs> but I think I think his role in The Shining is very well known. As good as it gets. Like, oh yeah, yeah, and The Shining. Yeah, yeah. I think people people know that. But you're right. Like, if someone uh, a year ago, if someone asked me, "Oh, who's in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest?" I might have not realized that Nicholson is in it. All the main, all the main. Well, Joker. They might they might associate him with with the the eighties. Oh Joker. yeah, you see, I forgot he was a Joker. Yeah. But to be fair, I've never I've never actually seen the Batman eighty nine. Yeah. Oh well, we we should do an episode one time. Classic retro round. I know a little retro round. Maybe <laughs> before the Patterson Batman movie comes out oh, what, 50, even though you 50 years <laughs> i was gonna say you really don't think it's gonna happen it just keeps not happening well that doesn't mean it's I'm, not gonna happen i i guess i don't know oh. i'm used to like all the video game movies that like for the last 15 years they've been trying to make and they never get made you know also i'm, conv- I'm convinced that dc is just gonna fall under their own weight although the joker hitting a billion is, is a game changer yeah i'd say so. so it just means all their films are gonna be broody now talk about society society um, no, yeah. it's funny that you brought up how excited you are for these next couple of weeks because there are a lot of things coming out and we heard some good news about one of the films that we might not well we couldn't have potentially watched but now we can watch and right yeah, yeah. Well, do we want to say that yeah it's uh, Jojo what? Rabbit Jojo Rabbit we found out we might be able to watch Jojo Rabbit uh, before Christmas oh, we, we're gonna we're gonna we will we will yeah. we're gonna, we're gonna get, we should buy tickets to that as soon as possible and lock oh, that in. That's exciting. But, um, but like, yeah. it is the season, you know? Yeah. It's exciting. Um, funny thing before Ford, Ford vs. Ferrari started was the trailers that came out. And obviously, I wasn't super keen on the Knives Out film. I'd seen the trailer before. But this trailer they they released on this one, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be like... I'm convinced that film's going to be incredible. Like, it feels like it's a nice hybrid of, like, Murder on the Orient Express meets... Mm-hmm. Uh, Honestly, like Grand Budapest, like the dynamic yeah, between yeah, characters yeah. and the casting as well. Yeah, is like kind of the and they're kind level. of colourful. Yeah. Like like Daniel Craig doing that like very American accent, like <laughs> like not posh in it, like almost like Logan Lucky level of like redneckness was. Yeah, I'm keen, and even to see like a pompous Chris, like see Chris Evans in something that's not Captain a Marvel. F- yeah, 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 it's, yeah. it's going to be refreshing. Play Dick, which is awesome. Yeah, and I, I think he's got a dickish face. So, you know, it's funny. No, I <laughs> well, honestly, he do. generally looks like the posh, like rich kid sort of thing. Yeah, he does. Like, I think that was one of like he's fine in. Uh, was it gifted? We were talked about gifted. Yeah, gifted. Um, I don't know, but he's just uh, you like uh, like we've talked about. I just feel like I think he might have been potentially miscast in that. You could have put someone who was a softer uh, in person gifted. in gifted. I don't know. I kind of what like a softer presence. Yeah, like a more like. I could have seen someone more like Adam Driver be that character. I suppose. Even Channing Tatum. I feel like Channing Tatum has a softer 
presence than I, where I don't know if I wanted softer for that film though I like that Chris Evans as the character was a, a little little challenging to the daughter mm. fair enough I'll say the daughter fair enough because I'm pretty sure it wasn't his daughter yeah that's yeah, fair that's but, fair um, but I also want to say with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest that it was the second film to win the big five at the Oscars followed then by what we did a couple of weeks ago Sons of the Lambs that's crazy and that was it those that's are big... the three what was the first one the first one was oh god it happens at night something like that okay uh, it was like the 30s, so it was a while Yeah, back. I seem to remember this. It's like, oh, it's like something in Paris or something like that. So it happens at night. It's a Paris-related film, I'm pretty okay. sure. Okay, but it's it's about 80 years old now. Yeah. Those are the only three times it's ever happened, so that That's was really crazy. Cool. I watched another Kubrick film, his final film, actually, Eyes Wide Shut, which uh, I just really liked. Yeah. Have you seen it? No. No, so this is... I'm a real Kubrick... A drought person. I just have not watched Kubrick. Films. The more I watch Kubrick, the more I'm like, I think he might be my favorite director, just from a cons- not my favorite, but one of my favorites from a consistency standpoint, because mm-hmm. he just has such an interesting way of of doing of, of camera movement mm-hmm. as well. His performances, it, it's 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 um, you know, it's like when you when you watch The Favorite, you're kind of used to the way dialogue is done. Mm-hmm in a film like that but with Kubrick it, that's kind of the variant in all these films is that the way the actors are performing in dialogue it's a little bit more uh, varied from film to film Yeah. but with Eyes Wide Shut you have Tom Cruise Nicole Kidman I've watched a lot of Nicole Kidman lately um, and they're you know they're, they've got a child they're, they're rich I think he's a doctor and the whole film kind of turns into this weird game of lust and I thought it was very clever that Nicole Kidman's the one who's very, like, lustful and wants to cheat on him and has, like, all these dreams and fantasies, while Tom Cruise is a straight man who literally every every girl in the fucking film flirts with him and tries to get in his pants and everything, and he's always the stoic, like, push-away type, which I thought was a nice, clever way of juxtaposing that. You think mm-hmm. it would be the guy who'd be, like, the sex-hungry sort of yeah. thing. And um, the film goes in a really weird place of, like, cult followings and... Just weird stuff like that, but I thought it was it was I really liked it, but I thought it ended a little weakly. I thought it lost a little focus on its message at the end. Um, but no, I, I actually really liked it. But it was weird to see Nicole take uh, Nicole Kim and take a back step in it because they're mm-hmm. very much promoted together. And most of the film, she's like not even in it at all because it follows Tom Cruise and his sort of down spiraling fight to to essentially not cheating his wife. Fair um, enough. And it, it gets interesting. And it took 400 days to shoot, apparently. Jesus. Yeah, 400. Think about that. That's, That's a year. Audience, think about that. That's four. What's 13 months? 400 days. And I didn't see it, to be honest. I don't know why it took 400 fucking days to shoot that movie. <laughs> but it, Could have been to do with his maybe declining health. Kubrick? Maybe. I, I don't think so. I think he was pretty... Onto it, I just think he was very. I mean, you have the famous like in The Shining, you have like 127 takes on the stairs, mm-hmm. you know, um, very perfectionist type of thing. But I still don't know how it was 400 days. Yeah, like considering it's the film's barely two and a half hours, so it's long, but it's not like ridiculously long. Yeah. It's not the Irishman that took less than half the time to shoot that Irishman. Yeah, so, only four months for the Irishman, right? Something like that. It was like a hundred and. It was like 150-ish. Yeah, five I months. I can't remember. We five talked months. about it on the show. Yeah, yeah so. five months. But well, that's um, fair. Yeah. And I throw it in there. I did watch the pilot, or pilot, the season premiere of Rick and Morty, season four. I did Verdict? watch it last week. It's still funny and clever, but I don't, it didn't save the show for me. It's on Netflix? No. I, how, how did I watch it? 
Jeez, I don't even remember. Because the, the first seasons are on Netflix. Season, I remember when season three was coming out two years ago. They actually, um, what's it called? Oh, jeez, I'm blanking. But basically, it would come out on Netflix like a day after it came out in the US, like on, on Adult Swim. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're doing that this time, but they are on Netflix, most of the Rick and Morty episodes. And I think today, the second episode comes out. So I'll give it a watch. I think it was quite funny. It was a clever idea, but it definitely wasn't their strongest opening. I think season three is... Nah, it's not. That, that, sorry? Oh, the... Which oh, is, the, the, the... Oh, sorry, Netflix. Mm-hmm. I thought you were challenging my opinion, you bastard. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, Please so, continue. So I think season three's opening is still the best episode in the entire show. That's the Nathan he, Fillion he, episode. Yes, yes. And he breaks out of prison and stuff like that. Oh, that episode is... So clever. Yeah. Um, it was a good start to season four, but I'm still curious and 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 uh, what's the word? Hesitant to continue through. That's fair. Because again, I just I feel like these creators are a little they're sitting on their hands, so to speak. I don't no, know. That's true. I don't know. Um, the only real thing, other thing I have to add before we move into careers is mm. once again another trailer that that came out before Ford vs Ferrari was Rise of the Skywalker trailer. <laughs> I had not. <laughs> seen this trailer up until this point, and people that know me know I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I love right. Star Wars. I am really looking forward to The Mandalorian. I've heard great things about it already, and I'm like, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, and I will stand by by saying, honestly, I, if I could take back the last five films that have been made, I would. Um, between oh, Solo, like the, Rogue the One, Star Wars stuff? 7, 8, 9. Yes. I wish none of them were ever made. Um, but... Yeah, look, that that trailer was the most hammy Toy Story. I literally would run <laughs> to run Toy Story 4's what? trailer. So hammy ne- Toy Story. Like hammy Toy Story 4 trailer. Like it is the exact same thing. You put them both next to each other and they are literally like the same trailer. Oh, we're going to see characters who are leaving and dying and it's all about coming to this point and boy what a journey this has been and oh you know you're gonna cry and that bit when C-3PO is like I want to have a last look at my friends I nearly <laughs> gagged I was like oh this is so in your face I can just imagine sitting in the theatre like on the other side of the theatre from you and that line comes up and I just hear it like in the fire just like <laughs> <laughs> You probably would have heard, like, ah, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, <laughs> it's like, I can't believe I'm saying this about a Star Wars movie. That just hurts my, my heart. Because, like... Oh, man. It's, it's so bad, because it's like... And it's not, it's not the fault of uh, the actors. It's the fault of... Honestly, it's probably Disney's fault for this inconsistent mess and yeah, I... removing creative control, because... Had, like, we we can have that episode 8 debate till the day we die, but had Ryan Johnson picked up all three of those films, I know I would have liked them, but because we had that inconsistency between mm-hmm. the JJ film and the Ryan Johnson film, that's what makes Ryan Johnson's film so bad, is it's because it just... Destro- and it's going to make JJ's next one even worse, mm. because it's just, like... I didn't want a, fil- like, a film that would just jerk my fan jerk me off you know i didn't want that I, I, and yet but you love rogue one just saying rogue one is not fan service yes, it is it's up it's like eight <laughs> characters that you've never met before yeah i, I, I hate them all <laughs> but like that doesn't either. mean it's fan why service ever? well why is free c3p on that film we're not doing this 
C-3PO is not in Rogue oh, One. He has yes, a cameo. He is. He's he, a cameo. Why is he in a cameo, though? Because he's on the, the ship from the fourth one. That literally oh. starts... Okay, that that that's not fan service. Okay, that is not fan service. <laughs> that is We're a not doing this. cameos okay. are not fan service. That's like saying that's like saying every Stan Lee cameo is just you going ah it's I mean, Stan Lee. I mean, it, it is fan, but, uh, fan but why is that not cringy as? Because they because it's Stan know. Lee. No, because it's, it's horrible it's to say that because he passed away. It, but <laughs> that was a year ago now, I guess. Yeah, but you know, it's like. Is uh, it? Consi- but no. Yeah, well, so what? C three PO rocking up in every film is not consistent. That's but exi- he's not. He's not in Solo, so they've ruined the consistency now. Well, he doesn't have to be in Solo. He, he but he doesn't has have to be in Rogue One. Yeah, he does because of the, the, the t- because of the timeline. It makes sense. Okay, uh, let's. Okay. Oh, all right. Take a deep breath, uh, do you, would you like to move to careers, or do you have anything else to add? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's move. It. Okay, yeah. so. Because you've had a big week. I've had a big week. So, uh, for those in the know, X Rental, my uh, a docker that I edited, produced, and directed about three local WA video stores trying to survive in a dying industry, is out. Twenty-one minute docker came out last Friday, and uh, it's gotten a pretty insane response. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. Everyone seems to really love it. You've you've come up to me and said you think it's the best thing I've ever done. I think it is. I kind of love that <laughs> yeah i like it i've always liked title cards too i like the way you use title cards oh, the external yeah over the thing yeah that was that was a ballsy because i was trying to get it to work normally and then i got it to work weirdly with over, crossing over the block but i was like oh that actually kind of looks cool yeah and plus it, it's going online directly for free so people know what the title is so you yeah know, if it was like in a fear in a fear to thing i might have been a little more considerate about title but i'm glad you liked it yeah. Um, no. So this is something we shot. Me and Kish, we shot it together back in like March, Aprilish, uh, around that time, and it took ages. I literally didn't start like properly editing it until mm-hmm. Thursday night. I'm not gonna lie. So that came together quite quickly, just because I had no time. I had yeah. so much else on, and I kept pushing the date and picking dates. You've been getting a pretty positive reception for it. Yeah. No. People. People love it. People tell me they cried watching it at different points. But some people tell me they cried like at the ending with like the the kind of the, the way the music yeah. goes into the some of the stuff. The same people who actually have worked in video stores or are currently working in video stores mm-hmm. have cried at different parts because of the relatability of some of the stories. Like the one of the Dave having the little kid jump up on the counter and swipe his own DVDs and he's grown up into like an adult now. Uh, that made a couple of people cry. But those people specifically know what that experience is like. So you have that sort of gateway into it. So it's great to see the the like people in the know really appreciated it on that level and people who are a bit more distant from it but they have a nostalgic connection to video stores look at it from a different perspective and, and really miss it and I think but at the end of the day I think it's a doco more so there's an underlining thing you know it's mm-hmm. not about the death of video I mean it's about death period and that's kind of what I think the ending's about when it cuts back to the blockbuster and juxtaposes the the building it's and you know the colours being a bit desaturated and you can see the the remains of the blockbuster logo like scribbed yeah. into the wall and I, I love that shot because i mean it, it's a perfect juxtaposition to the opening with the actual store running and it's colorful and it's all there but it's it's a death you're witnessing a death on screen that's what i feel like and i think that's why people get kind of emotional about it i think there's a good mix and it's mm. got a, it's it's pretty well paced and i'm glad because i was worried you were going to be like it's too fucking long jake no. <laughs> it's at 21 no but, i think yeah. um no uh, it's not like I have like things that you know, I didn't like, but for the most part, I enjoyed it, and it was a fun twenty-one minutes. Nice, I'm glad. Uh, I didn't cry. 
Oh. Sorry to break um, your heart. Yeah, you're breaking my... I want to see my balls, but I guess you are. You're breaking my balls, Zeke. What are you doing? Nah, that's fine. I, I mean, I didn't expect... I, I, I made a joke while watching. I kind of edited it all night, like, frantically, mm. and then I had, like, a shower and a little mini break to sit back and watch it and see if I put it coherently together, you know what I mean? And then that, when I was watching that, I just I just stopped and laughed, and I was like, I'm going to make bitches cry with this thing. <laughs> and I didn't realize that I would be correct. I didn't realize that I was actually, that was going to happen. So, But that's awesome, you know? That's why we do what we do. We want the emotional impact in people. Uh, yeah. To either enjoy it or to get emotionally driven by yeah. it. It looks like I've done both. Well, if you haven't checked out X Rental, you can check it out on Clicker Productions and just on type it. On YouTube in. page. Yeah. You know, got... if you go on YouTube and write down X Rental, it's the first thing that comes up. There you go. Which was shocking to me. So just type boring. in X Rental on YouTube. There you go. Beautiful. Check it out. Is that a. Would you like to move um, into the uh, film of the week? Yeah, let's do it, Zeke. No worries, Jake. So what are we watching? Well, we're watching, uh, very appropriately, the most Zeke film of all time, <laughs> the most Australian film of all time, Animal Kingdom. Everything sits in the order somewhere. Everything reaches an understanding. Things survive because they're strong. You may think that you're one of the strong creatures. But you're not. You're one of the weak ones. But you've survived because you've been protected by the strong. But they're not strong anymore. After his mother's death, a teen, Joshua, moves in with his uncles and grandmother. Joshua's life takes a frightening twist when he learns that his new family is a mid-level crime syndicate. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Animal Kingdom. So, this is a film you adore. Yes, I think love we this said film. it last week. This was the film you've been trying to get on the show for a very long time. Yeah. And you finally Took did it. 44 for your, episodes. For your birthday. There. Yes. There yeah. you go. Took us uh, 10 months, but <laughs> we got here. No. Um, so our is... baby is uh, nice and healthy at one month old? Is that it? what's going yes, on? Yes. Cool. Yes. 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 We're, we're bottle feeding it. Um, no. <laughs> I think that's what you do after a month. Let's got to, yeah, we got to uh, clarify that for our audience. No. <laughs> we uh, feed our child. Yeah, I think so. Uh, <laughs> um, Animal no, Kingdom. It's a really good film. And it won Sundance. It won right, tw- yeah. It won the 2010 Sundance. Well, and we've had previous Sundance winners on the show being uh, Thunder Road. Oh, uh, yeah. Fair call. Fair well, call. at least the short film yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. if I'm pretty sure it did, but I have to double check that. Right. Well, here's um, the thing. You mentioned this film is a $5 million budget. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's surprising to me. And the reason it's surprising is because it has an Oscar nomination. Yeah. Which means the budget must have accounted for a, an Oscar campaign. Yeah. So, um, which, which begs the question, how remarkable this script and, the honestly, the amount of talent thrown into it. Yeah, it's a definitely. Huge, it's a plethora of particularly Australian talent. Uh, Australian icons, mm. um, you know Jack. You know you got Ben Mendelsohn, which Ben Mendo always gets a good Ben bump, Mendo gets a big bump on the show. Guy Pierce, uh, yeah, that surprised me. I was like, wow, yeah. Um, Joe Edgerton, who's like yep. one of my bays, um, he's great. <laughs> and David Mitchett, which is another big, uh, big throw in there. But um, oh, yeah. yeah, there's so a real strong cast for such a small. Um, such a small yeah, uh, quote budget. Unquote, small film, yeah. Um, so obviously this is the case of a bunch of Australian actors really liking the script and really I can, liking... I can absolutely and see why. <laughs> really wanting to be a part of 
one of the few Australian films that really has broken the international ice mm. in the last probably since well, I'd the have last to decade, s- I'd say. Well, Australia was international. It was an international film, like Australia, right, yeah. the film, and that was on like a year before this. Uh, and Very I did before. not like Australia at all. I don't remember anything about Australia. Um, I, was, I was young when I watched that. But movie. Uh, probably Rabbit Proof Fence be the last That's a big, big one. one. Um, there's a few little bits Muriel's and bobs. Wedding, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I'll say Muriel's Wedding did it. But. I think that one's gotten a more cult status though. Probably the castle be another one oh, that that's I a big think. One. But, yeah, yeah. Um, this film, it's more actors are like Hugh Jackman as an individual breaking out. Yeah. Know? Whereas that this film feels Australian through and through. It mm-hmm. it's it, it <laughs> is. I am surprised that I mean we do have an Australian film for Australia Day next year in mind, but um, yeah, this one's definitely a film that I adore. I am a sucker for Australian cinema if it's good. Um, I think Hounds of Love is one of the best films I've seen in the last mm. five six years, simply because it's amazing to see a film that profoundly amazing and shot so local down right the road. here yeah like i th- i can go to we those can houses recognize roads watching that film yeah, yeah and it's like this film definitely i think it's set in new south wales i want to say uh, or victoria it's I one think, or the yeah, other i want to say victoria i'm sure it's in here uh yes uh, melbourne victoria okay yeah and there are shots in this you're like oh, oh well, sorry it's based on the events that took place in melbourne victoria yeah but um i imagine that would transfer i don't know where to, to start with this film other than like it's a just it's I mean, we could just go scene by scene if you'd yeah, like. Well, I mean, you... it's interesting because you've. When was the first time you watched this film? Earlier this year. Okay, and this is. The, I literally finished watching it maybe an hour ago, mm-hmm. so I, I think I got that fresh take on it. But yeah. I mean, overall, I was just from the very first minute, I was like very impressed, and I yeah. just kept being impressed. Not not only because it was an Australian film, which is always like it's good to see one really, yeah, really up the ante on that level, especially from a script standpoint, mm-hmm. but. I just immediately, from the very first story beat of the cops coming in and finding the dead mother, you know, and, and Jay just being like, oh, it was heroin. Yeah, she's dead. You know, yeah. just very casually and passively. Um, I knew, like, this is a very eerie, relentlessly uh, eerie mm-hmm. film. And While he's very- watching Deal or No Deal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it cuts to... Oh, man. Like, uh, they must have bought an episode of Deal or No Deal or yeah, something. Yeah, they must have picked one specifically... With uh, like that specific pacing, and then bought that, and, and there's it. something so weirdly grounding about seeing because often television mm. in films doesn't get uh, put in real like films because obviously they buy the rights and the copyrights for like yeah, it's weird it's, to see. I mean, it's the control thing. They want to artificially create their own new segments. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think. Uh, seeing deal or no deal and then it intercutting with like the actual broadcast and like seeing that you're like you're suddenly really grounded especially if mm. you're australian you know you're watching an australian yeah, you film. know where you are and i think i think even just the 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 color of it even though it's very dry color grading it's it put me right in that spot yeah and i thought it was very comparable to hounds of love in that way of just of relentlessly eerie and this one feels a bit more uh widespread like it yeah. feels like a bigger story. I've definitely watched um, a lot of but tonally it fits. Um, contemporary Australian films. That's definitely where I've sat. I've watched, all, for the most part, every Australian film I've watched has been in the last 20 years. So anything post-2000, I've watched a lot mm. of. Um, yep. And they all have a very similar colour palette, I've, I've found. Um, even in places where 
cinema, like a films, t- like cargo that takes place predominantly in desert regions, mm. they still have those grey brown colour palettes. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a very consistent sort of tone, and that might be due to the type of cameras we use. Like we, I think we push more for black magics now, especially. I suppose. I think. I think it's just that's how Australia's represented in your film, and they they mm. want to. I think when someone gets their film to that status, like from mm. a budget standpoint, or like, oh, we're actually making a film. You kind of want to match what the other Australian films are doing. I think yeah. that's kind of what it comes and from. And I mean, uh, not to bring telly series in, but the that's become a big thing in Australia too. Is those television series events where they, uh, particularly the more underbelly ones, mm. and um, which ties very much into this sort of thematic style. And um, more recently, uh, the the catching I think it's catching Ivan Malat one because obviously he just yeah. passed away in prison. Um, just looking at those color palettes, very, very much the same too. It's mm. it's always great when when it's gritty. It's those those yeah. murky, gross colors that are kind of a bit off putting. It, it it definitely matches in that way. There are, I mean, more recently there are a couple of examples of, of vibrant, mm-hmm. very saturated Australian films. But you know, they they're more like fun, quirky comedies, like yeah. Three Summers or the the Naked Wonder or stuff like that. When yeah, you watch yeah. those trailers, and I haven't seen the films, I've seen trailers. They are very colourful mm-hmm. and bright because they're fun It's all tonal colour grading. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. It fits kind of the needs. And I think for an underbelly story, it really immediately brings you into that. Yeah. With that interior lighting and the way it's just all greyed out and washed out. And, I mean, I think you're bought in from that first scene and then the introduction of, of Jackie Weaver's character, who's mm. a pinnacle part of this, this film. She She's... really, like, blew me away. Yeah. Like, in the same way as the neighbour from Rosemary's Baby blew me away, where there was just such a naturality to the performance. Yeah. And then I went on to find out, also, same with Rosemary's Baby, that she got nominated for an Oscar for it. Yeah. For Best Supporting. And I was like, wow, I, I see it. But she I carries the film. It. She's the yeah. this weird sort of, like... I mean, there's always that incestual undertone with this film and, like, mm. between the family's relation and the way that she kisses all of her... Uh, children just a little bit too long on the mouth, and like, <laughs> and it's totally deliberate. Like yeah, it's yeah, it's too it's that coddling to the point of uncomfortability, and the fact that for the most part we don't see any characters outside of these ones interacting with any, like no one outside the family mm-hmm. interacts with anyone, and um, unless unless they're welcomed into the family through like yeah. wives or the cops, girls. like kind of sneaking yeah. in sort of thing. I could see. I actually thought about this specifically why the film's very much about that family dynamic, mm-hmm. and obviously there's an outer story going on here. We kind of start really after the the the, the main crimes that they commit before yeah. things start to turn to shit. I thought this was a clever way in the script to keep it to a low budget. Is that and of course they they go bigger and bigger later on. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the violence gets put right at the front. You have SWAT teams and stuff later on. Yeah. But initially watching it and seeing, I'm like, this is a clever way of getting you into the family dynamic, but also keeping it quite a low budget. Is that yeah. these are the main characters, and a lot of the the creepiness comes from the aftermath and their reactions of that aftermath. And I mean, it's also casting it, it, mm. in the first thirty minutes in particular. And I'm sure we'll delve into spoilers relatively quickly. We'll get there, yeah. Um, <laughs> to see, like, Joe Edgington and Ben Mendelsohn and Jackie Weaver all on the screen at the same time and having that dynamic, it just elevates the film. It yeah, because there's feel, a great chemistry there. Yeah, it makes it feel bigger. And it's like we didn't have to see them perform all these crimes because we can look at the people and how they've designed each of these members mm. of this family. And they don't look 
very rich. They look kind of grubby. They look kind of uh, scary and intimidating. People mm. that, if you saw them at night, you probably would avoid Walk icons. The street, and, yeah, yeah to avoid them sort of thing. Um, and especially when they go places together and there are those shots of them almost moving as a pack. Mm. It's It's just an intimidating presence which is great because like even the cops do that it's certain there's certain shots when the cops are kind of closing in together and even they have a similar sort of animalistic pack thing going on yeah there. um just like the family it's very us versus them sort of thing it's uh yeah it's, it's very um territorial in that way yeah and it's it's very uh what's what i want to use like it's very black and white you know it's yeah. uh very oh, why am i blanking on the word well, it's 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 uh, they contrast binary each other in the binary. Thing. Yeah, yeah it's very binary. No, it's fair. Um, did you want to add any anything? From... Um, I I mean, a lot of the stuff I wrote about was in relation to spoilers and plot. Tension Would you like to jump into spoilers? Then? Yeah, I think so. Because so the the whole premise of the family disintegrating essentially, yeah, is so it's just so well done. And I messaged you while I was watching it. There were certain parts I just hated watching because I was like, this is really dark. And it's not overtly dark in the sense that it's a gory or graphic or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just like thinking back on like some of the deaths and what some of these deaths mean for certain other characters. Like, fuck, man, this is really yeah, dark. And they pull the trigger, as per se, mm. um, very early on with... Um, and like we've said, this is a yep. spoiler. This is now into spoiler territory. Spoilers. Watch this film. Watch this Do film. Do yourself a favour. It's on Stan. So yeah, it's on Stan, Blu-ray, which will plug once again at the end of the review <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, when they kill off Joe Edgington's character mm, after about early. 20 minutes I think or mm, 25 minutes yeah. and they and the thing is our main protagonist character he's obviously taken in by this family following his mum's overdose what a great way to like set that up yeah. this is the family he's never really known yeah so, so. because she's kept his mum who was a drug addict yep. had kept them kept him away from them yeah, because even her, in her dire strait, yeah, <laughs> like knew Dusa, what was going on, knew yeah. what they were capable of and what they could do with someone like him, and what that mentality was like with them. Mm. It's a very sort of relatively. There's definitely reflections in the dynamic between, like in Jim, like in Thunder Road, with obviously, but it's right, the reverse. Okay. Obviously, it's it's Jim Cummins trying to keep the daughter away from, from the the drug addict mother. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, obviously. So our main character gets taken in by this family that he doesn't know, who is uh, his name's Joshua. I just had to double check that one. My boy Jay. Um, Cause they call him Jay, Jay a lot. I think of the Jay. Um, yeah, and obviously Joe Edgings' character is the more uh, fatherly character, even mm. though he's not the oldest one of them. He's the big brother, sort of like looking out for everyone. Still, like everyone falls under Jackie's sort of like matriarchal gaze. Yeah, yeah. She's kind uh, of the. Uh... What's the comparison I'm trying? Well, yeah, the mothering figure. Yeah, know? the mother hen. Yeah, um, even to even to Ben Mendelsohn's character, who's, mm. who comes in a little bit later, he's uh, a little bit more unstable than the other brothers. The yeah. other brothers are quite strong well, together. He gets his own introduction as well. Yes, um, and you can immediately know like this guy is trouble. Yes, because yeah. he breaks into the house of her. Basically, he sneaks in essentially, yes. and it's a surprise, and Jay drops the the beer bottle or whatever it is. Yes. So it is a, a sort of a moment, and you're like, okay, I know what's going on here. This guy's going to really up the ante in that way. Yeah, so to then... Um, and they've talked about this threat of policemen 
Um, but they all treat it like it's not a big deal. Like they have nothing on them. They're they're all pretty untouchable. And then yeah. there's an interaction between Ben Mendelsohn and Joe Edgington in a supermarket, which mm, doesn't get unnoticed. Doesn't apparently. get unnoticed. And that was enough for them to act. And they seemingly out of nowhere. And I think the screenshot I used for the review of this film was Joe Edgington's last look. <laughs> <laughs> Before he gets his head pretty much blown off yeah, yeah, yeah. in public. And that's the thing. The yeah, shock yeah. of this film is acts of violence like that occur in broad daylight. Mm. In, in the middle of anywhere, as opposed to nowhere. Yeah. From everything, from uh, one of the other brothers who's with Jay. Um, oh, the older um, I believe it's Craig. Jesse Plemons looking guy. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> Craig, um, who's played by Sullivan Stapleton. And Craig, he's in you're a, correct, yeah. And he's in a car with Josh, and I think someone pulls in front of them, if I recall, or something happens, in which they're just driving down a suburban street, and, and uh, some, or did someone cut them off? Is it someone cuts them oh, off? Oh, uh, what happens, they're at a stoplight, and mm-hmm. then he goes to check his phone, and then the guy, another like random hick, drives past, and he's like, oh, like it's green, you idiot. Like He's taunting him, and then yes. he gets pissed and chases him up. Yes, and, and then, then forces Jay to get the gun, gun out. Gun out and intimidate him. Yeah. Was that and Craig? I think that's Craig. I thought that was um, Joel Edgerton before M- he died. It, oh, it might have been Joel Edgerton. I think it was. Might have been, but it sort of plays into that animalistic jungle mm. feel that this film's trying to go for. Yeah, like, yeah. only the strong survive, and you are only the hunter when you're not, you know, mm, when you're, you're not being hunted, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's also like, just shows how quickly. Jay's getting entrenched in the world and how quickly they're throwing him. He literally throws a gun into his lap mm. and forces him to use it. It's well, amazing to, how yeah. stoic his character is, though, because then we mm. don't know, as the audience, is he buying into this world? Is he scared? It's like... Because for the most part, Jay's character is very reserved in mm. what he's letting on. He's le- he's sort of that Ryan Gosling drive character. He's doing. Right. You don't he, really know what's going on in his head, yeah. so to speak. Especially with the interactions with Guy Pearce and being like, you're getting in you need mm. to get out of this he's trying to be that voice of reason yeah, you have no idea which side he's leaning on especially yeah. towards the third act you're like yeah. where is this guy gonna land yeah. we see ultimately where he lands but yes but um no i think i think the build-up is is fantastic mm. you know and, and, think- and those other little things like there's the one i mean you get that moment when he's like, uh, teaching him how to wash his hands yeah he's taking a piss and it's just little kind of inwards uh like that and you know when when he's being interrogated by the cops and he does a pretty good job but for the moment he's like yeah i was you know i was a bit high so i didn't really see it and now he's being convinced to say silent which is worse and then all the stuff that happens with his girlfriend and the way he's influenced to treat her and what that happens mm-hmm. there is like it's just i love the the seeping in of the family kind of getting to him and making yeah. him make these bad decisions it's a really um interesting film and mm-hmm. it's one that keeps you glued to the screen the whole way through. Definitely, yeah. Um, and these dynamics, I mean, it's it's amazing that uh, we haven't seen more films like like of this calibre out of Australia. It's a bit of a shame. But um, I think the only reason uh, this film's kind of eeriness is elevated is probably by the performance of Ben Mendelsohn. Um, mm. I think. He is unhinged in a way. But in a, like a the subtlest, yeah, yeah. Uh, only a way that I feel like for the most part. I mean, I've seen him in a couple of things now, like Land of Steady, ha- steady Habits, and mm-hmm. he has a very amazingly reserved 
way of performing in which he can, yeah, he can say so much without not doing that much too. And I don't think it's the case of like what we talked about earlier in the show with Ben Affleck because I know Ben Mendelsohn has way more, I think, diversity and gotcha. and, and yeah, definitely I, I can agree with that. Um, boasts a certain, he always commands a certain presence when he's on screen, which um, not many actors can do. Mm. Um, I think even like in his smaller roles, like he's in The Dark Knight Rises, I think. Um, and I think you're right, yeah. yeah I'll double uh, check that for you. He's the uh, guy who brings Bane into the city, but he's still entertaining and still, you know, is notable in that film. So He is. He plays John in The Dark yes. Knight Rises. So, um, yeah. yeah. I think uh, that's that's my favourite part about this film. And then when shit hits the fan, it just gets it gets crazy. It does like build and build, and I love I love how the film is unashamed unashamed about killing its characters off. Yeah, like it just yep, this person's gonna die and this person's gonna die. And I, I think when I really loved all the stuff that's going on with um, Nicole, the girlfriend, mm-hmm. and like I was alluding to before, like he's kind of pushed into breaking up with her, and that leads into I thought there was gonna be, and they do tease it very overtly that that um, Ben Mendelsohn's gonna do something to her. Yeah, uh, especially when he's putting her to bed that one time and he's un- he's alone and she's knocked out. It's like oh god, here we go. Um, and then of course. It's but, almost, it's almost a twist on that what it, mm-hmm. what he ends up doing to her, yeah, uh, with the with the the heroin, mm-hmm. and then he just straight up murders her, yeah, almost for no reason. I mean, he's obviously suspicious of what she knows, yeah, what she knows, and if she's told the cops anything, but she very clearly didn't while he's choking her to death. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, but I guess that goes back to his unhinged nature of like, I don't think he's crazy. There's something, uh, I think, um, like, what really, really hammers home the eeriness and the uncomfortableness of this family and this dynamic is obviously another thing is the contrast between Joshua, Jay's family, Hmm. who we've talked about a lot, and her family. And how very uh, nice, sort of more the classic Australian homeliness. Right, exactly. And it's that contrast. And I think uh, family, her dad's I played by Shane Jacobson, if I recall. Okay. Um, um, oh, I don't, or, I don't see no, his No, Clayton name. Jacobson. So I think it might be his brother. Oh, um, there you go. I knew they looked very similar. My boy Clayton. Um, I didn't even realize I mean, Shane had a brother. Is that but, a name, Clayton? I guess so. I mean, it's his name. Is that the name of the guy from 13 Reasons Why? Can it just Clay. be Clayton from now oh, on? Okay. Um, <laughs> still haven't watched that. Still haven't watched that season. But yeah, like that contrast to. is definitely there. And it mm. makes that when they can't find her even more traumatic. I think that's that was it for me. And when I, when I said the way certain deaths affect other people, that was it. Because you're right. They build this family up as the mm. white picket fence, sort of a very uh, innocent, innocent mm. Australian family. Uh, and you have the kid, I just want to point out, playing Ratchet and Clank at one point. That was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but you're right, the fact that the, the mother's concerned about him sleeping over and she's like, oh, he's still in school and there's that, you know, she gives him that hug and or her that hug. There's a, there's a relationship there, very well established, mm. and they're worried about what she's getting herself into. And she seems very innocent. She's really well cast just because she's got, like, this great natural look to her. Mm-hmm. And when she's killed... And that leads to, I'll talk about it in my, one of my highlight scenes, but it leads to them finding out she's dead. And that was the moment that really clicked for me. I was like, I want, especially Ben Mendelsohn, but really the whole family, I'm sorry, I want this whole family punished. 
I am yeah. done with their antics. Like immediately, this isn't the kind of you know Breaking Bad thing where you they want you to root for the villains. It's like no, this is very much not that. This is very much I hate these people. Yeah, and I even wanted Jay to get punished to one extent or another. And he does sort of get punished in a way. I mean, do he, we want to talk about the ending? Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much. We might as well move into highlight scenes because that is my highlight scene. All right. Um, uh, yeah, so obviously, given uh, the events of the film, um, Jay, we assume, mm. gets offered sort of an ultimatum um, and between him and Guy Pierce. Right. Uh, and basically, he when he gets uh, returned to the home, he goes into the house and... Uh, well, at first, he looks like he's just rejoining the family. Yeah, I and kind of. That, I thought that was going to be his arc. Is that he, like, like, um, you know, the hunt, the mother hen, or um, Jackie Weaver predicted, because she at one point even admits, like, I, I'm done with Jay. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I want what she says it out loud at least. Um, I thought that was going to be his arc. Is that he is now entrenched in this world of crime family and whatnot. Yeah, and sort of replacing all of the brothers that have died over mm. the course of the film. And Next minute. <laughs> he goes into a bedroom to talk to... Well, he he's pretending to be asleep. Sleep, that's it. Yeah, and then and then Ben Mendelsohn kind of comes in and sneaks in, and then, then it cuts away from the gunshot. Crazy. Yeah. And then we... Yeah. It's a very surprising ending. It's a very strong ending, though. Mm. And I think, the, uh, I think the only other brother that's left is left there on the barbecue, and he's like... Jesse Plemons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he really looks like him, man. Mm. He really does. It's a really strong scene, and it comes out of nowhere, and it kind of plays into some really good shock violence, like not like Irishman shock violence, which sometimes could be a little bit like, I get why. I think the shock with the Irishman is that they don't cut away from the gunshots; mm-hmm. you just see it. While in this film, they cut away two blood spouts. Yes. Do you think that's a budget thing? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Potentially, it's still Especially, you're right. Shocking though. It's still yeah. Good. Well, and it's also in that situation we didn't know who shot who, so there was a good suspense. Right. That's a good point. So I mean, I was pretty. I I I think I knew what was going. On. I was like, oh, okay. like I wasn't like, oh, who shot who? Like I kind of yeah. knew. But you're right. It does. It's that extra level of suspense, and I yeah. think that's what this film masters is suspense. Definitely. Is that your highlights? Yeah, that's mine. I got a few notable ones. Um, I want to talk about the opening, like the opening shots. Mm-hmm. And that sequence is just like it puts you right into the film, and any film that can do that in the first minute is very commendable in my eyes. Um, and I also love before the initial. So you have your the cops shooting um, Joel Egerton. Edgerton? Mm-hmm. Is it Edgerton? Oh, my buddy. Is he related to. Um, Taron? Taron. No. No. Okay. Close enough. <laughs> but you have. Obviously, you have him being shot by the cops, and that triggers the next sort of act, which is the, the car parked in the middle of the road, and then the assault on those two officers. But I loved, loved, loved the decision that we follow this young cop on his sort of day-to-day, just for mm. a very brief moment in time. But we, I love that that's how we open up and then we see his death and how he's his cause in that and the way it, it cuts back to like, oh, you, you pig fuckers, and they shoot him. Um, I thought that was just a brilliant because, again, it goes back to the whole idea of the, how much innocence is being, is being washed in blood with this film. There's so much innocence just killed off or yeah. affected by this incident. I think my favourite scene, though, just from the point of tension is you have Jay coming back. He He's not 100% sure if his girlfriend is dead yet. Mm-hmm. 
but he gets to the house and and the father's there and the is it the son or a daughter it's a, one of the kids playing the yes game. and he knows he needs to get them out because he's on his way so he's like oh can you give me a lift to the store and that one shot of them in the car and you know the father's looking back to to reverse out of the garage but the garage is opening while jay's looking around because he's like are we about to get killed right now yeah and just the tension of that shot is this slowly really slowly backing out of the driveway before it cuts away and i was like that is perfect tension right there perfect. that's probably the the two words to sum up the film perfect tension mm, absolutely but um that scene i was just like wow that's it that's what you want your film to include is a scene like that this is a must watch definitely. it's really good and it, definitely my top three australian films of all time having seen it earlier today no worries well animal kingdom is currently out on stan yeah i didn't know that it was on stan uh, as well as now. blu-ray in your local jb hi-fi most likely oh well if you're on a jb hi-fi it's probably they're probably gonna have dvds you know how hard it was to find a blu-ray of the social network no i went i went to jb yesterday because i've, I've decided on some of my favorite films of the decade and i'd love for that to be a discussion with us in the future um, but I wanted to go out and I'm like, I should own all of said films because I don't own all of them on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. So I went out and it was really hard to find some of them. One of them includes The Social Network. I guess I just spoiled that for you. That's fine. How many uh, have you done with? Ten? The uh, ten best? I thought of my favourite five. Five? I might do ten though. I might go up to ten. Gosh. I don't have an order for those five, but I have my five favourite films of the decade. Could you rank them? Do you think you could rank them? I probably can. I probably can. Okay. Social Network will probably be like, no, I'm not even gonna say it. We'll, yeah. do, we'll do it one week. But um, it was really apparently they just don't make the Blu-rays for Social Network anymore in Australia and several other films I was looking for as well. Yes, crazy. So I had to order them off eBay for like two bucks. But oh hey, no, that's, yeah, I know. Oh no, I had to get them for cheaper. Oh dear me. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you're looking for this film on Blu-ray, <laughs> might be harder than you think. I don't know. The whole the whole physical media thing is is driving me nuts a little bit. You know. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. We'll but well, you can watch it. You can watch it. So give and it a watch. watch it. No worries, Jack. What's new in cinemas this week? Uh, it's a it's a bit of a smaller week, I would say. There's not a lot coming. Calm out, before so. the storm. Yeah, in a way. So you got Twenty One Bridges, which is the Chadwick Boseman film, and I think it's produced by the Russos. Okay. They're not directing, but they're producing, and I've seen a bit of it. I think he's like a detective or something. There's like a big. Okay. It's like a nighttime action film. I don't, I don't know. So there's a film called Countdown coming out. I'm going to read you the, the synopsis to Countdown, Zeke. Are does it involve counting downwards? Uh, it does. Oh, there we go. Look at that. You're a fucking genius. <laughs> <laughs> All right. When a young nurse downloads an app that claims to predict exactly when a person is going to die, it tells her she only has three days to live. With time ticking away and a mysterious figure haunting her, she must find a way to save her life before time runs out. An app. Told an this. App. Mm. So someone uploaded an app to the app store that is like accurately portrays when you're going to die. <laughs> what was the budget of this film? Oh gosh, you you want me to look it up? I do. I also want you to look up his Rotten Tomato score. <laughs> we can do that. This could be the best bad movie of this year. Okay, I'll write down a countdown on Google and it just has the number five on it. <laughs> All right. So now I looked up film. It has a 25% Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Oof, uh, where is the budget? I might have to open up Wikipedia for this bad boy. Everyone's favourite source of news and information. Of course. The budget is $6.5 million, so more than Animal Kingdom. That's sad. And apparently its That's box office sad. is $31 million already, so it's making it's, money. Damn it. 
Holy crap, the plot. You know how you have your plots on Wikipedia? This is gigantic. There's really? so much plot in this movie. <laughs> I'm going to read the ending. Oh my god, there's it's, a mid credit scene. It's, <laughs> it's Marvel. <laughs> it's... um. It was released originally on the 24th of October 2019 in the United Arab Emirates. That was where it got its original release. I did not expect that to come out of the word United. Arab Emirates. Oh, my God. All right, a couple of others. Uh, uh, Official Secrets, which is some true story thing. has got Kira Knightley in it. I don't really know what it's about. Judy and Punch, which has been nominated for the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance. So Damn. That's, that's something. It is not... The Judy film that will probably win a million Oscars. It's a different film. I think it's about like puppets or... So what's it called? Uh, Judy and Punch. So that's the one. And uh, again, I mentioned it last week. I mentioned again Marriage Story. Just because there is screenings at Backlot this week, there might just be the one on Thursday, I think. But I'm um, just putting it out there. If you want to watch that film before its Netflix release, I'll take it onto it because I've heard amazing things about so that. Judy uh, and Punch. Mm, yes. In the town of Seaside, now nowhere near the sea, puppeteers Judy and Punch are trying to resurrect a marionette show. The show is is a hit due to Judy's superior puppeteering, but Punch's driving ambition leads to the tragedy that Judy must avenge. That sounds dope. Fair it's, enough. Does it actually sound dope? Like, yeah. It looks interesting. Fair enough. Looks quirky. Looks like an indie darling. Let's see if we can find it. Yeah, there we go. Let's know. give it a look. Cool. All righty. No worries. Well, moving in, it, unfortunately, Judy and Punch is not our film next week on the show, but we've got something no. just as good for you. Well, for our director's corner at 45. Yes. Jake, what are we watching? We're watching Shaun of the Dead. Do you ever think that modern life is not for you? Do the same dead-end job every day? Is your love life dying on its feet? To a wonderful mum. Oh, have you ever felt that you're turning into... Something in the world. A zombie? Maybe you're not alone. Piss it. Sean is a salesman whose life has no direction. However, his uneventful life takes a sudden turn when he has to single-handedly deal with an entire community of zombies. That's weird. Why did they use life? Like two times in one... I know, it's kind of makes it janky. Well, this bit. film was directed by Edgar Wright and is our latest director's corner. Ooh, that's exciting. Apparently only had a budget of 6.1 Oh, there you go. Quite million. similar to the film we just did this week. Exactly. Uh, and next week, for the first time in like, what, like seven months, we have a new guest that's going to be joining us. Let's hope. They do join us. <laughs> we've had some we've had some duds in the past. <laughs> James Norton, sorry, I'm not calling anyone out. <laughs> <laughs> what he he cameoed. He his did. Vo- his voice made a cameo. Spirit of James lives on. But yeah, uh, but Danny McDonald, a fellow editor friend of ours, will be joining the show as an Edgar Wright specialist. I I suppose mm-hmm. definitely a Shaun of the Dead specialist at least. No dramas. But, uh, well, it'll be good. Until then, we'll have to wait for this all to blow over. <laughs> and thank you for listening to the Cinema Sideshow podcast. Uh, I was Zeke. Because it's a line from the movie. I'm Jake. And we'll catch you next week <laughs> with Shaun of the Dead. Yay!